Hey everyone, it's Tim here again, and you're listening to episode 21 of the Black Swamp Podcast. If it's your first time listening, thanks for tuning in, and feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and then tell all your friends. We have a growing collection of episodes featuring conversations with BSP artists and educators, as well as some other goodies thrown in here and there. Today's episode is sponsored by the Drum History Podcast, which is the official podcast of Not So Modern Drummer and hosted by Bart Vanderzee. The podcast has been documenting the history of drums over the last several years, with topics ranging from the beginnings of man's involvement with percussion to modern-day innovations in instruments. Episodes include conversations with manufacturers, historians, and authorities on drums, cymbals, musical genres, iconic performers, playing techniques, and more. Basically a ton of cool stuff for both drummers, percussionists, and musicians with a variety of interests. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as drumhistorypodcast.com, which we'll also throw a link to in our show notes. So check it out and start exploring. So you're about to listen in on a conversation I had last week with Wesley, Lauren, and Trevor from Lineage Percussion. They're a young but increasingly established percussion trio who met while studying with Tim Adams at the University of Georgia a few years ago. Uh, Shortly after beginning to perform together professionally, the trio actually received a bronze medal in the acclaimed Fischoff Chamber Music Competition, becoming the first percussion group in the history of the competition to be a finalist in the senior division. Uh, What I find most interesting and inspirational about these three is the bond they've created and maintained even now living across the country from each other. I uh, definitely think this is fueled not only by their mutual passion for music, education, and food, but also their dedication to social advocacy and awareness, uh, which is one of their central missions as an ensemble and certainly a topic we spend a fair amount of time exploring during our conversation. So you can learn more about Trevor, Lauren, and Wes by visiting their website at lineagepercussion.com, by following their social media sites, which we'll have linked in the show notes, and by listening now. Hey everybody, it's Lineage Percussion. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, ladies. <laughs> doing great. Good. Sorry, we're just kind of getting set up. It's, I don't know, I always make a wisecrack because we're, whenever, there's always a little bit of banter before we actually start recording. So that's, it's all kind of an, aw- an awkward beginning, feels like. But so I appreciate you guys all taking the time. I, I know you're all in different parts of the country. So we had to coordinate those schedules and time zones so if you could just tell me uh lauren we'll start with you who you are and where you're at (laughs) yeah sure Uh, my name is lauren floyd i am currently in the washington dc area i actually live in maryland technically uh, but i'm right on the border of dc in tacoma park specifically if you know that area um i don't but that's okay. Great. <laughs> I'll, I'll Google. I'll Google Map it later. So I'm, yeah. I'm making a note right now. That Tacoma Park. I'll look that up later. It's wonderfully wooded and uh, a nice oasis outside of the city, but close enough to the city okay. um, that it's a it's a nice drive for gigging purposes and seeing the sights and getting good food. So yeah. yeah. Um, and I I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Cool, Wes. Wesley, Wes. 
so I am currently in Atlanta right now, but uh, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I've been living there for the past three years since 2017. Okay. And I'm also from Atlanta, just like Lauren. Okay. So you're in Atlanta now, though? Yeah, I, I go back to L.A. on the 3rd okay. of October. So how long have you been in been in Atlanta, uh, though? Since, like, the end of August. Okay. Yeah. Just came and, to see family and stuff. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, and Trevor? Yeah, so I'm in Athens, Georgia right now. Uh, and I'm not originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm from Tucson, okay. Arizona. So that's the difference. But, yeah, I'm out here in Athens where the University of Georgia is. Okay. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously you guys are, well, typically spread around the country right now to a couple of you are a little closer. Um, but you all met at the University of Georgia, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So who, can you kind of tell me like kind of a bird's eye view of how you guys, you guys met uh, and then how lineage percussion sort of took shape? Yeah, so um, I'll take that one. Uh, <laughs> Good. Better uh, you than better you than me. So go ahead. <laughs> so uh, Wesley and I started from the get go at University of Georgia, okay. um, and both of us came in and in the freshman class. There was about like I don't know, Wesley, like seven of us. I don't know. It was about yeah it was about six or seven of us yeah. it was about six or seven of us the next year it was about four mm -hmm. <laughs> so um tim was like a big advocate of like if if you don't want to do this leave <laughs> oh so, wow yeah. yeah yeah which i mean it sounds pretty harsh but it was very helpful as like an 18 year old yeah if he was like if you're passionate about this stay around if you're not go change your major like no no shade it's just yeah. like just do it um so we started in the same class. Uh, Wesley and I kind of got paired up on like lots of percussion ensemble rep together because it was like, stick the freshmen together, <laughs> let them learn. <laughs> right. Um, and we played this one trio piece. I remember that like our freshman year uh, with a guy who was not Trevor. Trevor later came to us, <laughs> but um, this, this dude is now like a, a business major. Um, and it was, it was just tough because we were figuring out how to do chamber music you're 18 sure. you're new to college like how does it work how do you schedule you know like how do you schedule a meeting with three people how do you right. figure out the logistics of of your schedule and um communicating what an right. idea yeah <laughs> um but then trevor came so he came to a show i think our sophomore year was he came to our sophomore our sophomore recital actually yeah. yeah 14 i was auditioning for the university of georgia and we can get into that but i was sure. uh transferring for a couple of years from the university of arizona so i think i i went to your guys's recital they had a sophomore recital i went to mr adams uh faculty recital i went to an atlanta symphony concert uh you guys did that children's concert with a percussion ensemble so it was like just back to back to back to back to back but that was the first time that i met those two was 2014 in the spring i guess okay yeah yeah, so we, we met Trevor. It was just kind of like, a oh, he's auditioning. Okay, cool. But then he comes, uh, and that was our junior, our junior year. Um, and that winter, Mr. Adams said, okay, you three are going to play Rain Tree. Um, the way that percussion ensemble kind of works at UGA is you get the music a month before. Okay. 
um, and then because he treats it kind of like a professional situation. Yeah, sure. Um, so you get it a month before you knock it out, and yeah. So, so who, we got we got so out of curiosity, who played the vibe part? Trevor. Played oh, okay. <laughs> and I was brand new to the brand new to the school, brand new to the area, first time out of Arizona. And, yeah. And it was Lauren, Lauren's being generous with the time frame. I don't I don't think we got a full month. It was yeah. like two weeks. Yeah. And he sure. handed us the music. And yeah. we also, I mean, we had heard Rain Tree um before, but uh I don't think that we really realized how hard it was until maybe a week and a half out from the concert. We're like, all right, let's get together and look at yeah. this. And those first two pages don't look that bad on the vibe part. And then you flip yeah. it and we're like, oh, God. Well, and there's, yeah, I, I mean, this was a long time ago, kids. But I did, I played Raid Tree in grad school. Um, and actually, there was a, a Vic Firth video that was just released with a trio that played it. And I, I shared it with one of the guys that I played with. Like, I, I messaged him because I was like, I remember these days, you know, because like he and I played uh, Matt Dudek. He's at still at the University of Akron. Uh, runs the steel band teaches stuff there but uh yeah it's i, I know we're already sidetracked right now sure. but <laughs> literally like rain tree is one of my favorite like pieces that i've i've played in percussion ensemble and 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 heard i just think it's beautiful amazing piece and it and having like i think that's really smart to kind of like throw you into the fire right away like trevor for one like uh playing the vibe part but then just getting the music a couple weeks in advance and kind of tre treating it um like like professionals would treat it because i don't think i definitely i definitely didn't think like that when i was going into to undergrad or even graduate school when i went to university of akron like that's totally how we treated like a grad ensemble would get a get a piece and at concerts in three weeks or or whatever and we pushed back a little bit there was a, a Stuart, sorry uh there was a Stuart saunders like piece uh Stuart saunders smith and it was for like four bells, like four bell players. So it was like the one of the links, uh, like vibe solos. But it was for four bell players. We're like, no, this ain't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, we're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> Sorry. We that's what time. happened with us. Yeah. Yeah. Like he gave us he gave us the music, and mind you, he assigned us the parts. So we didn't yeah. throw Trevor into the fire. <laughs> okay. Tim yeah. actually did the, that. The newbie, right? Yeah. Right. But. I remember, you know, like every every week we'd have a rehearsal with Mr. Adams on like a Friday. Sure. Um, the first week he comes in, all of us are like, we can't do this. And he was like, you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was kind of like, and then the next week we're like, Mr. Adams, we can only do the first half. There's no way we can play the whole thing. Like, nope. Mm -mm. No, you're going to oh, do it all, man. I do everything. That, that, uh, Mr. Adams teaches alongside his wife, Ms. Toscano, and she, when we came to him and we're like, we don't think we can do it. Like we, we got up the courage to go talk to him and yeah. she even pulled him aside and she was like, you know, Tim, I don't know if this, and he's like, no, this is, this is the right thing to do. And yeah. you know, we're thankful for it now, but yeah. as just a bunch of like, you know, junior chumps in the studio yeah. trying to figure out life. Well, yeah, there was one, one of the grad students, he was kind of like the senior grad student. And yeah, he went to Dr. Snyder. I was like, yeah, doc, we're not, we're not going to play this. We're just not going to do it. And so we, we picked another piece, uh, but, and he was cool with it. Cause I think he sort of understood, but, but yeah, I give you guys props for following through <laughs> and for Tim to like pushing you to do it because I think it's, it's actually, a, that's a pretty good lesson kids. 
that's a good lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, the, the short of the story is we performed it. Right. After that concert, Mr. Adams was like, I think that you guys need to make a trio. And all of us were like, ha, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and then that idea just kept coming back. You guys need to make a trio. Uh, look up, start looking up rep. I'm going to give you rep. Uh, you need to do this. Right. And so that, that kind of cemented rain tree as like, Oh, Oh, we actually pulled this off, but now we can keep working on this and making it better. Right. It now has become a staple of our repertoire. We absolutely love that piece. Right. Um, and it kind of, it kind of formed from him just shooting out this idea to us of, yeah. Hey, make a trio. We're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was my, basically my next question was like, how, how then did you decide to sort of solidify uh, uh, an ensemble and then what what kind of drew you together so obviously first it was uh tim uh suggesting a sort of volunteer my wife calls up being voluntold like instead of volunteering <laughs> like you're voluntold to like work together like so strongly suggesting you guys make an ensemble but sort of once you got into it was there were there some other bonds either playing like playing style or just kind of like performance philosophies or anything else that you guys felt like you connected with immediately that that you you wanted to keep pursuing this yeah i mean i think all of us since we studied with the same teacher right. um like a lot of percussion chamber groups you'll see are kind of kind of similar in that way sure. um and that's extremely helpful because all of us came, came from the same background we're studying the exact same technique we know how each other is going to lift off the instrument. Right. So a big thing that we started from the get go is not the whole like pulsing with everything because it can be a little bit distracting sure. uh, to the yeah. audience, um, especially in something like Rain Tree. You don't want to be sitting there counting all of the beats <laughs> right. during something that's supposed to be more soundscapey. Right. Um, and so from the get go, we all had that connection of the similar playing style. But I think all of us just vibe on a on a friendship level too. I think you guys yeah. can speak to this too. We like instantly connected with that just because uh, you know we all like to laugh. We all like to eat. That's an <laughs> that's another thing. Um. <laughs> hey, food is great. Yeah, that actually, Lauren's the foodie in the group. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, actually, I think meals and food can be. A real bonding experience like sharing a meal together especially as friends like kind of that community or fellowship i think is actually can be create a pretty strong bond so yeah i mean it's yeah it's funny to hear like you you all like food and you all like to eat but um yeah i think it's pretty cool yeah it's those like simple i mean it sounds so simple but it's kind of like uh when you find that person it's like you you know mm -hmm. And so yeah. like, we kind of just had that connection pretty quickly, honestly. Um, and that spurred us. So, uh, you know, he, Mr. Adams was like, you guys should look into some competitions because you know, that's what the chamber world in terms of strings and winds, that's what they do okay. for us. I mean, not, not as much the percussion world, you know, we have some stuff through PASIC, right. but that world isn't as available to us in a sense. Um, so, I don't, Wesley, do you want to talk about the fish-off experience? Yeah, so one of the other things that 
kind of got the group bond going was we performed a lot together. Um, we have these middle school and high school festivals at the University of Georgia called Midfest and Janfest. So okay. Mr. Adams had us play in front of those students, you know, in front on the big stage at our performing arts center multiple times, you know, and doing things on our regular percussion ensemble concerts. Right. So he recommended that we do this thing called the fish off, which is uh, international or national. I can't remember. It's it's a is big a, chamber music it, competition. Okay, the fish off. It's not like a foodie thing then. Like you weren't no, immediately no. drawn. <laughs> yeah, it's the largest well, chamber music competition. In the oh world. right, okay. Yeah, yeah, but we'll turn it into a food truck too. Okay. Oh, that's <laughs> and and we were like, okay, sure. So the requirements were uh, to send in a pre-screen tape, and that was a process because that was some of our first times being able to record and edit videos and things of that nature. We were just kind of like, yeah. Uh, how do we do this i mean we pulled like all nighters we did it what in like three days or something like that it was, man because we we rehearsed the rep and it was over winter break so we had all this time and then we were playing it for mr adams and, and he was being really hard on us so it was just kind of stressful at that point and then of course we had school you know on top of that but the greatest part about that is we started to learn a lot about each other you know who I know Trevor's tendencies. He knows mine. Lauren knows mine. I know hers. So we we know how to approach each other when we play the instrument, and we have candid kind of conversations about it too. Yeah, you know. So we got the recording done. We submitted it. We were like, okay, let's see what happens. And then we get an email. I was like, hey, you guys got it in. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, cool. So we spent the next, I think, two and a half months preparation. Well, and and tell them about the the how it split up. How finish off is split up. Oh, okay. So the competition is split up into into two divisions. You have a 18 and under division, and then you have an 18 and up division. And okay. then within those divisions, you have uh, a string division and a, a wind division. So that's one of the reasons why we're really surprised that we even got in the competition, because there was essentially no room for us. But we got accepted, and they categorized us in the wind uh, division. And usually, I think it was like six saxophone quartets that year, uh, two woodwind quintets, a brass quintet, and then us. And then in the string division, of course, the piano trio, uh, string quartet, you know, all these different things. And so when we got there, you know, we we drove from Athens, Georgia, all the way to the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, <laughs> Indiana, with our own equipment. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't trust them to have anything ready for us but i right. mean i mean fun fact third coast percussion does a residency there okay. at the the performing arts center there so we were like okay well maybe we'll be able to acquire some gear and do some things that way and they're like well no those guys just left and we can't really use this gear because we have to go through the school and all stuff. so we packed up three marimbas two vibraphones a xylophone a bass drum all this stuff and droves like what 20 hours all the way up there wow we get there we unpack we look at the hall, we figure it out, and we're like, okay, cool, this is great. And then we play, and then we get the results, and they cut us. Wow. And we were just like, oh, okay. And it was funny because we looked at the list like three times. <laughs> like, yeah, we're like, oh, we're each just one not of us seeing like, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next night, there it was the second round, and then they had this ice cream social where the judges would talk to us about our performance. And so the panel of judges were uh, – a saxophone professor from the University of Michigan, one of the trumpet players from the American Brass Quintet, okay, uh, an oboist, a flutist, and someone else. And 
they basically just told us, you know, we didn't know how to judge you guys. Mm. We didn't really understand how could we put this up against, you know, this brass quintet that just played this Hindemith piece or the saxophone quartet that played a Maslanka piece. You know, how, how do we put And they were like, yeah, it's not flashy enough. And we we're like, we just played a man with a gun, like <laughs> the homeboy over here and just like BBs flying everywhere, you know, blowing a cymbal. Like we're just making all these crazy sounds, doing all this stuff. And, and that wasn't flashy enough. Okay. okay. Um, and so we felt kind of jaded in the sense of like, yeah, this this world doesn't really work for us. Yeah. You so know? you had to pack up and go home basically right then. Yeah. Right yeah. then and there. Um, and there was a lot going on before and after, like trying to get the money to go. And then when we got back, some things happened with the equipment. and But we ended up doing it the next year. Okay. And we revamped our programming to be as diverse as possible in the sense of we have something that's very metronomic and rhythmic like uh tim adams wrote us this uh cajon trio okay and then we had the table music which was you know theater percussion right and we had brain tree which takamitsu they when they heard we playing takamitsu they were like oh yeah i know Takamitsu. (laughs) this is great cool it's like the only person i know right you know and then of course sculpture and wood and and all these different things and we actually placed third in the competition that yeah first, first percussion group to do it out of the competition's history in that division. So that was huge. But um, yeah, so that's that. (laughs) Yeah, I was curious when you first mentioned you were basically part of the woodwind, like division, like, yeah, I mean, that's the first thought that goes through my head. How are they gonna judge a percussion ensemble? And then it's smart to come back basically the following year and have maybe stuff a little bit more accessible, um, Mm -hmm. like some programming that, that, that might make a little more sense to their ears. Um, yeah. Uh, and is that kind of that repertoire you you developed for that? Is that I mean, you mentioned Rain Tree is, is a piece you still play. Yeah, right. You still kind of hold on to these pieces because they they work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the second time was very helpful for us because we definitely scaled down the amount of equipment. Like the first time we took like a, <laughs> it wasn't a big of a like project a, to get there. Right. No, yeah. the first time we drove like a twenty foot truck. Yeah. Know, all the you know they had a governor of like sixty miles per hour, so it took us forever to get. Yeah. The next year we drove like a Dodge Caravan and packed up the van, pushed <laughs> yeah. in the back like this. You know, yeah. sleeping there. Definitely pictures of it everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of allowed us to just you know play the music and access it in a different way. Sure. You know, figuring out how to pull out some of the the best artistic quality of you know, dang it, like doing uh, wine glasses and things of that nature, just like smaller setups. Yeah. Sure. You know. And they liked it, so yeah. all right. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah. Uh, so, anything you want to add, Trevor, to your to kind of your history or how you guys got together? Or? Yeah. So, um, I will say there with, you know, in that final round, the year that we did place and were medalists, we did end up taking a risk in. Uh, and if you go on Fishoff's website, you can still see this performance, which is hilarious because you see Bartok String Quartet, like you see this like Maslanka piece, and then you see us and we're playing a Glass Abattoir by Philip Schusler, which is an awesome, just amazing theater percussion trio uh, about the Trail of Tears. And the way Fishoff works is that the judges pick your rep the first round. You submit your program and they can draw any piece. So for us, the logistics of you have like three minutes to load on stage or something like that, and us figuring out, okay, if they pick this piece, this piece, this piece, how are we going to get on stage? What equipment do we need to carry out first? Like we had it all mapped out, but 
that final round, you get to pick the reps. So we were, we were, it was totally up to us. And we made the choice to do the two pieces that we hadn't performed yet, because our mission going there was we were premiering pieces at the, you know, uh, Glass Abattoir wasn't one of them, but uh, this piece Burn Green that was written by Larry Baker, one of the composition faculty at CIM. Uh, we had the option to not play that on the final round. You know, we could have done table music. We knew that it worked. Right. But we said, you know, we want to leave an impact here. We already know we're medalists, right? We're either getting the gold, silver, or bronze. So we went out there and we played this theater percussion piece, like right, at, right back to back to this uh, piece by Larry Baker that's very minimalist you know, three marimba piece that's also up on their website. But they told us like, once again, in that final round, they're like, you know, we didn't know how to judge that because it was theater percussion. It was extremely different than the first two rounds where we took like safe rep, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the powerful thing for us is we walked out of that and they had like this whole little meet and greet thing at the end to meet the medalists and people were coming up to us and they're like, thank you for that performance of like glass abattoir and the words you say. And I mean, if you go watch the performance, like we're up there on this international stage, like screaming and <laughs> like, you know, and hitting like wine glasses and drinking water and pouring it at like full on theater percussion. But sure. people came up to us and they're like, you know, thank you for that. Cause it's a super powerful piece. And I think that really was a shifty point for us where we're like, you know, we tried to play the game that these other chamber music ensembles are doing. We did the competition route that we thought, you know, let's do it. Let's follow what the string quartets are doing, what the saxophone groups are doing. But then after that performance, we kind of made this shift again where we're like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that is making an impact. Mm -hmm. So, and it's getting people to have this dialogue that they wouldn't have otherwise had in the 43 year, you know, history of this fish off competition they hadn't had a group come up there and, and do that as percussionists. So jumping ahead, so like that, that was like 2015 or 16 or something? Yeah, so that would have been 2016. Okay. Um, I mean, one thing I definitely, so you guys are established now. You're, you're all in your own, uh, you, you all have your own kind of, sorry, my hands are in the way of the Zoom call right now. That's weird. <laughs> I'm not, like, so, sorry. Yeah. But people listening right now, they can't see us, uh, but I really totally, good. like, I talk with my hands a lot, so. I'll try to keep them out of the, uh, the uh, webcam there. Um, yeah, so you guys are like in your own parts of the country, you're kind of doing your own things, uh, but you're still able to kind of come together um, as an ensemble. Um, and then obviously this last spring, basically I want to talk about COVID. 
uh, and how you guys have kind of uh, adapted to that, how you've kind of handled the, the landscape, the performance, the rehearsal landscape over the last several months. And Trevor and I did, sorry, Wes and Lauren, Trevor and I had a brief conversation earlier this week just to kind of talk through some of these things. And I think, Trevor, you had a really good point that you've sort of been doing this, some of these things already because, you know, since you've graduated and, and you're moving on to some of your, your own activities, um, the way that you are rehearsing um, and, and practicing and preparing for for performances is already already kind of looks like how people are are approaching those things now because of the the pandemic and stuff so i guess there's kind of two things in here the first is how you guys have have handled uh, the pandemic like either um you know creatively uh, your productivity stuff like that but then also i, de I definitely want to get into some of those rehearsal strategies that, that you've, you have developed. Um, and Trevor, we didn't necessarily talk about some of that stuff. Uh, so right. I don't, ho I hope I don't catch you too much of a surprise, but so let's start with just like a quarantine, like how you guys have kind of, kind of handled that. Yeah. So I, um, I think you're right, Tim, the, and for people that didn't the sound solution project video that we did, we, we right. really have been doing this for a while. And I think when this all happened, it didn't really set in until probably this summer when we were looking ahead and we're like, wait, we don't, we don't really need to change what we do. Cause we really only get together with Wesley out in LA, Lauren and Maryland, the Maryland area. And I'm out in Georgia. We get together maybe, you know, twice or three times a year to do like a big concert, but all our preparation is completely asynchronous and online. So it, that's right. what we do. So we're fortunate in that regard that, we haven't had to make these tough decisions about our ensemble in terms of our preparation for events. The question sure. now is what are those events? You know, how lots of what we do is education and outreach and how we can't get in a school gymnasium with, you know, 500 elementary school students. It just isn't happening right now. So right. we are having those discussions now about how we're, you know, going to shift with the actual climate of what's going on right now with COVID. Um, I know on a, a personal level, it's more like when I got my position in Orlando in 2018, when that position was, uh, it was a one year position that I won, ended in 2019. And I was at a crossroads of what do I do at this point? And I made the decision, which I'm grateful for now to go to finish my doctorate at University of Georgia. Hmm. So that's what I'm, how I'm coping right now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a great coping strategy to be buried in Zoom yeah. 12 hours a day, but um, no, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, I'm put way more, like way more of a course load on for this semester, just trying to knock out these classes now because there's no auditions, you know, coming up for mm -hmm. the foreseeable future. There's, uh, I don't have my performances with Orlando right now. I'm not playing with Louisiana or these other groups. So it's really like I'm treating, taking all that energy that I had, you know, practicing those six hours. And now I do six hours of my DMA coursework. And, um, so that's how I'm coping. Obviously, I've made shifts with my private studio. I'm, you know, trying to learn as much as possible on my off hours about technology and OBS and learning about, you know, loopback and DAWs and just trying to um, get, a, you know, something that is a nice product to give my students because that in-person instruction that I was so used to, like, you can't take that for granted anymore. So 
Right. Um, I've been making those shifts with my private teaching and then also just trying to find ways to stay healthy mentally and emotionally through all of this. Cause I think that everyone is dealing with that mental health aspect. And I think oh, yeah. that's important. Um, my fiance is a, uh, speech language pathologist in the public school system here in Georgia. And that's a great reality check for me, honestly, because I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm here because I'm upset because I can't go play this concert. And, but the things that are going on with lots of our public schools and the way that these teachers, what they're having to do, it's the perfect reality check for me on a day-to-day basis of, you know, what this is, you know, we're very blessed where we are right now in our life with, you know, everything that's going on. So just recognizing that and trying to stay optimistic as much as possible about what's going on. Um, But yeah, I'll, I'll let one of the others talk about their kind of personal experience with this. Yeah. I mean, I think, sorry to jump in for a second. I mean, definitely keeping that perspective is, is important, but like as a company at Black Swamp, I mean, yeah, we, we've been struggling, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest about it. I mean, our, like, I think a lot of um, manufacturers and especially in the the business that we're in um, orchestral percussion manufacturing, we're niche of a niche of a niche sort of, uh-huh. um, I, yeah, our business is definitely taking a hit and we've had to make sacrifices across the board. Um, you know, we were all furloughed for like six, six weeks or so. And then mm-hmm. kind of core guys, core team uh, comes back. And then now the, the rest of our team is kind of slowly coming back, even a part-time situation. So, but we keep the perspective, you know, we're still operating. We're, we're, we're staying optimistic. Like you say, Absolutely. Trevor, like we're, we're still, we're still moving. Uh, we're still working. We're still making instruments. We're still shipping stuff around the world. So I think that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us going. So sorry to butt in. Enough oh, about me, great. Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate hearing that. It's, it's always like good to something I've learned, I guess, from the pandemic is to check in with people. Right. Yeah, um, sure. And I found, you know, with companies, it's like people feel, oh, you know, I don't have the money to support or do something. But another thing you can do is share things on social media, things yeah. that you like about companies. That's so helpful for just awareness. And then eventually, hopefully that will reap the benefits, you know, <laughs> right. for you guys, things oh, yeah. like that. But um, no, yeah, I, for, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, just like something that I, I've been thinking about, um, not only with, you know, things that I like and products I like, but uh, movements, all of the things that are happening. I feel like we're in twin pandemics right now. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. With everything happening with the murders across the United States um, and the social reform that we desperately need in this country. Yep. Um, it's it can be hard, especially for us if, as musicians. Uh, obviously, all of us don't have expendable incomes right now. So how do we do that? And so that was something that I looked into um, several months ago. Like, how can I support these movements without like monetary? You know, like I can't give however however much I would want to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and so giving my time, giving my awareness, spreading it as much as I can through social media, which sometimes feels like screaming into the void, but you know, you got a vacuum occasionally. (laughs) Yes. It's a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I think 
it's something that I struggled with personally. I my boyfriend of eleven years uh, is in the medical field. Okay. Um, he just started medical school actually in July, but before that, he was working in an ER in uh, DC. So, and we were living together at the time, um, and now he's in Philadelphia. But um, he was working in. So I think there's a misconception with the ER. First off, of oh, do you work in the COVID unit? Right. Well, the ER is the COVID unit. <laughs> the entire ER is. Um, and if you'll ask most nurses about that, they'll say that. So it's not really like one place you're working in. It's just, right. just they have like a constant influx and they still do now. Um, so he was a ER technician for the first couple months before he started school. And that was super stressful uh, because, I mean, every day that he went to work, he was risking his life. And um, I made the conscious decision to be not have him quarantine at like a hotel or something. He came home every day. That was important to me for his mental health. Yeah, sure. Um, so we had a whole system of basically they work 12 hour shifts in the hospital. So uh, when he would come home, basically he'd strip his scrubs down in the hallway. So set them my, on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my neighbors, uh, we always talked. We were like, oh, what if somebody's up at like 1230 a.m. and like right. sees you in your boxers in the hallway? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, we'd immediately put those under the washer. He had shoes to go from the apartment to the car so that there was like no hospital shoes in our apartment. Sure. Kind of like put a bag of like his uh, phone, wallet, keys into like a plastic bag. And then set it on fire. Yeah. Just set everything on fire. <laughs> right. It'll be great. <laughs> right. Sorry. So, yeah, no, I mean, um, that was just stressful, like on a personal level. But um, yeah. it also was helpful because I had somebody who was like on the front lines and could tell me just a realistic view of what was going on, which is helpful because, you know, like somebody who doesn't have that connection to somebody in the healthcare world, you're kind of just speculating like what's what the heck's oh, going yeah. on. I'm yeah. reading all this stuff and I have no idea, but um, for me, I was dealing with, it was like every week I was getting hit with like canceled, canceled, event canceled, like, and I actually was, I drove to West Virginia to play, I've been acting principal timpanist there for the past two years, Right. Um, and I was, I drove to West Virginia, uh, this was like March 11th or 12th, around that time, uh, to play a concert. I had driven that whole way, and by the time I got there, they had canceled the entire weekend oh, of no. services. Um, but it was like every week after that, I was kind of in that mindset of like, oh my God, when is the next bad news going to hit? Right. Um, and now it feels like almost every week I'm kind of like, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the new normal, I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, you know, like I, I definitely struggled with motivation when all of this first hit and everything was getting canceled because it was like, what the heck is going on? How, yeah. you know, how do, how do I handle this? How do I help other people handle it? Um, but I feel like I got, you know, after a month, I felt like after the initial month of just like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of got my bearings and um, it's just been interesting because I've been able to uh, explore ideas that I either haven't had the time for or they've just kind of clicked in this time. Right. Uh, so I have an assistantship through the University of Maryland. I'm doing my doctorate right now. Okay. 
Um, and my assistantship is through community engagement at the Performing Arts Center. Um, and they were very interested in doing um, a sensory friendly event virtually. So I don't know if you know what sensory friendly is, but I can uh, briefly explain it. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, sensory, obviously, like uh, uh, touching, like uh, seeing, smelling, hearing, like uh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically um, any student or person who uh, has some type of sensory deficit, whether they be on the spectrum in some way. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of like an all behaviors welcome concert. So if, if you're on the autism spectrum and you don't do well with certain lighting or you need to move all the time, if you hear music, you have to get up and dance, all of that is welcome in that environment. Um, so it's, a, it's just a really cool thing. It's just the thing is with virtual, how do you do that? How do you set up the parameters for that? So I, w I got yeah. to be involved in kind of helping pioneer that for our performing arts center how does that work um the nice i guess the nice thing about zoom uh or doing it virtually is you don't have to you kind of cut out a couple of the senses so like <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no smell of vision yet so exactly well that's the thing is like some people are very um smell like if if there's like really strong cleaners or if somebody's sure. wearing perfume or something mm -hmm. that can, be can a trigger for sure for sure so you cut out that and um now i'm going through this there was one other you have sight oh touch right um so if there's any there's not any like you're in your safe space basically right. um so what we're dealing with is kind of you know if it's too loud how how do you tell somebody on their end to turn their mic or turn their sound down mm -hmm. just things like that um so yeah i've just been exploring kind of different avenues and and um i feel like i've gotten my practice motivation back up <laughs> yeah. in the past couple of weeks but no i yeah motivation is, i think is a really good point i mean yeah we've we've gone through several months in a double pandemic i totally agree with you like like obviously covid stuff and then the social justice issues that have come up and like so people are are i mean i totally myself like trying to process everything and and now we're kind of like at this stage i was actually just talking to my wife about it yesterday like it's it's sort of like that i hate to say second wave but it's like you're sort of in this stage where you've you've kind of you're processing everything and it's just kind of you're exhausted like you're mentally and, and physically uh, exhausted for everything so you're you're like figuring out how to keep the sustain going and and keep uh conversations going and keep keep our kids going to school and keep them safe and healthy and happy and keep discourse going and um we have a lot of faith in our school and our in the people in our community with ourselves um so yeah it's just like it, it's not really you know it's not going anywhere anytime time soon. So it's something you definitely have to um, sort of physically and mentally keep yourself in, in check with. So um, uh, Wes, are you still there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm just vegging out over here. No, so uh, for me, it was as soon as the lockdown started around like March 13th or 14th in LA, 
my roommate and I, he's a percussionist as well. And uh, we had equipment at the house. So we were practicing hard, man. We were practicing each like six or seven hours a day at the house for like a month and a half. Sure. And then we were just like, all right, I need a break. <laughs> and then it was like done for like a month. He went up to Seattle for like a month and a half and I was yeah. still there. I came back here and then went back to LA. It was, it, and I was reading a lot and trying to just understand, you know, things politically, things environmentally, things economically, just trying to overload my brain with all these things that I've neglected sure. to feed myself. And, it, you know, it all comes crashing down at some point because I'm just like, man, like, what does me beating a drum do for anybody? You know, I kind of went through like an identity crisis in a sense as a musician. Yep. I was like, what, what exactly, how does this help people? Like, I, you know, so I just kind of sat in this void for about two and a half weeks where I was yeah. just like, you know, but it, but the music and art itself ended up being my saving grace, you know, yeah. keeping me mentally stable and just keeping my mind active and not running away mentally from those things that are happening, you know, from the social justice things, you know, specifically, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, like that kind of stuff. Usually I, I try to, to not look at those things because they, they emotionally and mentally scar me more than I thought they would. Sure. And I, I felt I was kind of doing myself a disservice in a sense by not looking at it as well, because it's like, it's not going to go away and it, and I have to address it for myself. And so I can address it musically, you know, right. so I can say what I have to say on the instrument or composition wise. Like I remember at three in the morning, about a month and a half ago, I woke up with this idea for a piece. I have it written down all on my iPad. I had all the instruments in my head. I had the, the words that I wanted to go along with it and just the different ideas. And it, I spent, I, I was up for like three until like 4.30 writing all these ideas down. And all of it came from just me releasing all of this aggression and all of this stress and all of this, this these emotions out of it. Right. So that's what's been kind of helpful for me to, to stay. That's what's been motivating me now. Yeah. You know, is to look at that and just see how that affects my practice in general. You know, I, I'll play a green scale like differently now. It, it's not just CG, you know, it's like, mm -hmm, you know, whatever. Right. It, it might change. Who knows? Yeah. No, I, I had the same conversations with uh, Jamel at work. So he's our VP of operations and he and I spent a lot of time. So I've been with a company over 20 years. Uh, he's been with the company 15 years. We've been working together for a long time. And just the last couple months, you know, uh, he and I sometimes are the only ones in the office because we're, we're locked down. Well, we were locked down. We were shut down. Some of the guys aren't still aren't back um, fully working. And he and I would be there and just talk for like an hour, hour and a half, whatever you know, why are we making tambourines right now? Kind of like you're, why are we hitting, why am I hitting a drum? Like is, is yeah. making a tambourine today really going to make a difference? Like, um, but you know, it makes a difference to us and, and us being there together and, and helping kind of each other process some of that stuff and, and talk mm -hmm. about things. And I totally, I've, I'm like a sponge right now, man. Like, the last four years and the timing is is no coincidence like i have been under serious like self 
like identity evaluation. That's what my therapist calls it. That's what my counselor calls it. It's not a midlife crisis. <laughs> it's not a midlife yeah. crisis. Like I, I'm definitely like re reevaluating my my life right now and re yeah, reading, uh, yeah, stuff about politics, stuff about race, stuff about uh, uh, my faith and and how all these intersect and um, and kind of the big Venn diagram of it all. So, um, yeah, I mean, I apologize for doing for kind of. Sp- uh, doing that kind of educational aspect because I found that uh, the last several years, like I mentioned, like I've just sort of immersed myself in it. It's like I'm like down all these rabbit holes, man. Yeah, I I read one yeah. article and I find about about a, a podcast, and I we Jamel and I at work we're like podcast like freaks, man. Where he throws stuff at me and I throw stuff at him, or I talk to my wife about things, and then that leads to another podcast, which leads to another. You see my hands yeah. again. Uh, leads to another <laughs> uh, it's just like yeah they're rabbit holes man but I don't know that's how I've kind of learned to help process things and, and mm-hmm. educate myself about you know everything's going on in the world um, uh, so I appreciate all you guys sharing about that, all that um, so I guess well I'll jump right into this now I know I mean I definitely want to talk about some of the rehearsal strategies stuff that Trevor made a video about and Wes and Lauren, I'll give you two an opportunity to totally critique and tear apart that video. <laughs> so, uh, well, we were, we were joking that uh, Trevor has now premiered his like YouTube vlogging blogger <laughs> review it, thing. It was, they love it, it was the so- jump cuts. I watch a video. I, I'm like, all right, so how do you do these jump cuts? It's like, uh, it's a real thing. Yeah. It's there was like not- little, there was like little animations. Oh, well, and, the animation like, I was, yeah. And no, that was embarrassing because my fiance, so she, she has a Instagram page where she does all, you know, this lettering and illustrations and stuff. And she actually did the map design, which I love. So she drew that map of the United States and stuff. But I asked her to do that. I wasn't paying her for it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the stick figure one all on my own. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's me. Bravo. IPad. Yeah. I borrowed the iPad, the iPad pencil. So. Yeah, it all worked, man. Yeah. It was, I appreciate the production quality, oh, the, well, the value that it added is, is great. So I, I definitely want to kind of talk about those things, but I know uh, kind of one of the main points of when I have a conversation with the three of you is, is what a Trevor called pillars of your ensemble, which were, or our education and, and social advocacy. Um, so I guess I wanted to hear more from you guys about, about those pillars, like A, maybe how you, you decided on those as an ensemble and then what those, what those look like in your, in your practice or in your performances or the pieces that you choose or the, the venues that, that you perform in. So do you guys mind talking about that for a while? Yeah, sure. So, you know what they say, you're a product of your environment. So unbeknownst to us, we were surrounded by that kind of art making through our entire undergraduate, you know, journey at the University of Georgia. Okay. So I I can give you different examples. Um, So it was in 2016 or 17. Uh, this composer named John Lane, he came down and did a performance of a piece that he wrote called The Innocence. And he did that uh, in collaboration with Alan Adi from percussion group Cincinnati. The Innocence 
a few of whose stories are told in this project serve collectively, depending upon how you can best imagine the unimaginable, 4,762 years in American prisons for crimes they did not commit. And uh, the piece is about, is highlighting the life of this guy named Clarence Harrison, who was the first man exonerated under the Georgia Innocence Project, which is uh, an, uh, an initiative that uh, helps to free uh, incarcerated people who have, uh, who have been charged for crimes they haven't committed. Mm-hmm. And so this piece, they fully immersed us in these sounds and these dialogue about the crime, the arrest, the indictment, the verdict, and uh, his time in prison, and then him coming out. And he was actually at the performance. He was like three rows behind me, you know? And that was at the School of Art, which was right next door. And they had these other rooms that were dedicated to other aspects of criminal justice. You know, they had this room that had these images, uh, these uh, mug shots over like an angel, like doing something on the ceiling. It was like a lot going on, but that was one thing that, you know, I got to see. And then Tim Adams did his uh, recital back in 2014. And most of it was self-composed pieces, but he wrote this piece uh, in collaboration with one of the pianists at the school named Greg Hankins. And he named it the Trayvon Suite. Mm -hmm. So, and each movement was dedicated to some aspect of the entire situation. So the first movement was called like Skittles and Sweet Tea. The next movement was called The Shot Heard Around the Block or like something like that to that effect. And it was about 40, 45 minutes of just improvisation between piano and percussion, but they had spent hours and hours and weeks together just trying to figure out how their ideas could melt together. And then he also wrote a piece uh, in honor of Harriet Tubman and talking about those things. And then even people outside of the school. So the athens Clark County Commissioner, her name is Mariah Parker. Um, she might be Dr. Mariah Parker. Now she was a PhD student at that time. And she won that position in 2018. And, but she's also a rapper by the name of Lingua Franca. And she raps about her policies, you know, mm-hmm. around uh, the athens Clark County area on campus at UGA. I have a band that I started at UGA called Misnomer. We did a track with her entitled Justice, where she literally talks about criminal justice reform and all these different things. So when we started to do pieces that were like that, we were just kind of, it wasn't one of those things where it was like, oh, we should do this because of this. It was really just because, oh, well, such and such did this a year ago and they're about to do this next week. So it kind of like turns into, oh, okay. So then the Glass Abattoir piece, that was like our first introduction into us actually doing it because the piece is actually three dialogues. One is of the Trail of Tears. The other one is of the Bolivian water crisis. And the last one is of the Iraqi war occupation. And he, the composer Philip Schusler has all of these three dialogues interwoven together and we're speaking over each other and it's over the, so an abattoir is a slaughterhouse. And the idea of a glass abattoir is you get to see what happens in the slaughterhouse. And it comes from a book called The Omnivore's Dilemma. I forgot who the, who the author is, but it comes from that idea of us not knowing what goes into uh, food production. So it's the same thing as far as you can take something like the Trail of Tears, like the prosperity of America, if you look at it in the glass abattoir, it comes from the Trail of Tears or, or aspects like that. If you were really had to look at it, would you be so normalized to, oh, that's just how 
things were, and this is where we are now. So we also did a, a call for scores for a piece that we got called Wealth Inequality, where we're spread around the auditorium talking about the top 1%, talking about unemployment rates, talking about all these different things over the course of a 10 minute piece. And then we also did a recital in Tucson. It was one of Trevor's last recitals at the University of Arizona, where we highlighted and brought awareness to the Alzheimer's Association and the American Heart Association through a program that he picked. You know, it was a beautiful program because he had family members that were affected by both. Um, but we were a part of that as well. And so there's a landscape that we've kind of gone across unknowingly and we're like well yeah we should continue to to do things like this you know mm -hmm. and we would do things like that with run out concerts at UGA and, and just things like that so I would so I'll just round it off by saying we saw people doing that you know and it kind of made us like unknowingly go into that realm while still doing what we were trained to do which is to be gigging musicians right but you know, if we were encouraged or inspired to go in that direction, we didn't have any kind of fear or, or you know, we weren't necessarily afraid of what the outcome might be because we were making art for these purposes that needed to be highlighted in American society, right. you know, which then leads to the education aspect. One of you guys can talk about that, but uh, going into different schools and, and trying to make sure we really understand what it means to do community engagement which is more than just playing a concert at school. It's like, do we give out lessons? Do we do an ensemble coaching for the middle school band percussion ensemble, you know, mm -hmm. or different things? Or do we uh, donate some equipment like mallets or a pair of cymbals or a drum or something like that, just so that it betters the situation than we came into, right. you know? Like Wesley was saying, we really see it important and paramount to go into schools and especially schools who are underfunded or in areas that don't get a lot of attention um, to spread awareness, honestly, about percussion. That That is usually the first time those kids ever see percussion and they go wild right. which is exciting for us because you know around either around the percussion community or in the orchestra world they're kind of like cool <laughs> right. um so to see a kid's face light up and be like i didn't even know you could do that what is that box that you're sitting on that's a cajon right. cool <laughs> right. um is really special for us and we actually got one of our first like k-12 gigs was from one of our friends who teaches in georgia she was like hey can you come to my elementary school sure um, so that kind of spurred this, oh, how do we do an elementary school show? Right. What should we do? Um, so that kind of spurred this program that we do for elementary age kids called All Hands on Deck. Um, and it's a program where we teach them 
how percussion is really accessible. You don't need a lot of money. You don't have to buy a $3,000 violin, which is probably not even a good violin. <laughs> um, so we kind of take them through, okay, you can make music with just your hands. And then like, what if you do it? You know, we play table music. Oh, you can just use a table and you have that right in front of you. And then we kind of do the motions in the air with them. Right. Um, and then introduce them to the cajon and and uh, the PVC marimba. Trevor built a PVC marimba and you play him with flip-flops and right. it's just super fun. And of course, then we're like, uh, we need parent supervision if you're dealing with <laughs> PVC pipe and right. possible cutters. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the idea of you can make music with things that you can find, which is now a great tactic in the COVID world of sure. um, entertaining small children. Go into the kitchen, right. find some mixing bowls, and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, when uh, um, no, that's that's actually a really good point because when we were shut down and quarantining, I have a, a twelve-year-old. Well, she's thirteen now. Sorry, she's a teenager. Oh, that's important. Congratulations! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of scary, but and then we have a nine-year-old also, and her, our youngest, still was doing music online, and like that was some of the the lessons or some of the homework was to like go into your kitchen and find stuff that could make noise. And I was like, I was like all about it. Like we could find stuff all over the house and, and make sounds and, and do everything. So yeah, I, I think in it, uh, last year or two years ago at our church, there was a, like a preschool program and both of our daughters went through it and they called me up and asked me to do uh, uh, for the preschool kids, like do a, per they were having like, like a music series basically so i filled my my acadia with all these little percussion instruments yeah and took them in and again yeah it blew kids minds like and and the simplest stuff like the little frog that makes like a <laughs> like a ribbit noise like that was the coolest thing and and like yeah. shakers and and stuff like that and so yeah we were playing like uh the cajon trio that tim rodas has uh a part where we play it with super balls on the okay. side yeah. and they went like freaking nuts over <laughs> because that. we have the the mike balter ones that have the you it's just like a fiberglass rod that's stuck into it yeah, and so sure. when you hold it up it looks like a lollipop okay. and they're like it's delicious <laughs> yeah. and then we're like what happens if we bounce it and they're like oh! yeah. <laughs> right that's funny um so that's, I mean, that's really cool. But we also do things with older older kids too, um, and students. Uh, right. We've done master classes at the collegiate level. Right. Um, we do things with, you know, we're we're actually going to be in talks with doing a middle school aged type of thing soon. Um, and we actually did. We got a little bit sprung on when we had a residency in February in Tucson. Um, we thought we were doing all elementary school shows and then we showed up to a school and they were like, Oh, you're doing sixth through eighth grade. Oh, okay. We were like, okay, so <laughs> here's how we're going to revamp this. We're all going to take our voices from here to, Hey, right. <laughs> uh, cause you know, middle schoolers and they're jaded. Um, uh, you're, you're going to be welcomed into that with a 13 year old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We actually, they had a half day today and, uh, and my, yeah, my daughter went to, you know, the pizza place around the corner with her friends. And then, you know, my wife had to go pick them up and now they're, they're all at our house and stuff. And then my, our youngest has a friend over. So yeah, I have a house full of girls right now. So. Yeah. I, I mean, there's positives and benefit or uh, negatives to that to say the least. <laughs> right. um, but 
Yeah, so I mean, we really want to just make sure that we're accessible to all ages. Right. Um, we love doing it. We love um, just talking about chamber music. That's usually what we do on the older side of things is how to function in a chamber group, how to go about doing that, how to practice, right. how to, um, yeah, just like the, the little nitty gritty things that maybe, I mean, honestly, when I was in middle and high school, nobody told me about that stuff. Yeah. It was kind of like, we're going to do percussion ensemble and we're going to make sure that we can play all 25 people at the same time. Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, I am I played a long time ago. And uh, yes, so much has changed. Like seeing kids that are in high school now and playing repertoire that uh, I played in college. You know, there's probably kids out there playing Rain Tree that are like in sixth or seventh grade now. You know, but, I hope yeah, that, not. That, that, no, that, that, that's an exaggeration. I admit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but oh, just going to PASIC or seeing high school groups or TME, going to TMEA or Midwest and seeing these these groups from Texas um, or uh, in Indiana, or wherever or Georgia. It's yeah. Uh, so it just yeah, they're crazy talented. Um, but then learning how to sort of interact and teach differently with them and approach them differently. It's obviously important. Yeah. Um, uh, so Trevor mentioned that speaking of residencies, you guys may or may not have something coming up. And is that that University of Maryland where you are? Yeah. Lauren? So yes. Um, so we actually got a residency through the Clarice Smith Performing Arts Center, which is on the University of Maryland's campus. Um, and the nice thing about having a residency in a place like the Clarice is, um, they're just very in tune socially and, right. and, um, that's something that we appreciate whenever we collaborate with an organization or somebody else that they have the same ideals and the same mindset as us. Um, not saying that you can have an opposite mindset, mm -hmm. but you know, there's just like a level of, you know, how can we work with a similar organization and, and how do they think and does that gel with what we believe and what sure. we stand for? Um, <clears throat> so the Next Look residency is basically to support artists who are in the midst of kind of creating a project or a performance and how they can kind of support that and make it into a fully fledged idea. Um, and what i i kind of spearheaded this for us but this has been kind of on the back burner for us for a while of kind of creating a piece that has all of these elements that we already did and we play a lot of pre-made pieces that are um, socially engaged works sure but uh for this you know i've seen a lot of works from the dance world or theater world that comment on a time in history, a social event, things like that. In the percussion world, it's a little bit different. You don't really see that as often. I mean, you have people like Third Coast who, who do that all the time, which is fantastic. Hmm. But I think that more groups need to be doing this work that is in the time of what we're living in. Right. And, and, you know, like, that's what Shostakovich was doing. He was writing about his time. Why aren't we doing that? Sure. So... I learned of this small community in College Park right here where University of Maryland is uh, called Lakeland. Um, and they are a historically black community. And 
from the very inception of this idea I had, I met with the Lakeland uh, Heritage Project group. Um, and the director of that is Maxine Gross. And basically their whole idea and goal is to spread awareness about Lakeland and the the historical significance of this community. And in Maxine's terms, she just wants to leave breadcrumbs to show how hmm. what this community is today, but what it was. Sure. Um, so basically we have a residency for a week in February, um, where we're going to get together in a space up here called Joe's Movement Emporium, <laughs> which is a funny name, but they do, it's basically kind of like a black box ish modular space. So it can fit people like us or dancers or theater or like an art project. Um, so we get that space, um, and we're creating a piece called Shadows of Lakeland. And it's going to be in a vignette style. So there's going to be four vignettes. Three of them are going to deal with kind of the hardships and struggles that Lakeland has gone through. Um, the three big ones really quickly are racism and segregation, which is um, not really a surprise with a black community, unfortunately, but that is the reality of the situation here in the US. Uh, the second one is Tropical Storm Agnes. So Lakeland is in a flood zone. This led to them applying for government funding through the urban renewal plan, which happened in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, basically, that that entire neighborhood and community was flooded every time there was a hurricane, every time there was a tropical storm, uh, to the point where, so we got access to oral histories through Maxine and the Heritage Project to listen to. And a lot of uh, the community members will say, oh, yeah, they took a boat out to my house to get the dog out of the house. And I mean, crazy stories where you were like, wait, so your entire basement was, was flooded, but they took a boat to your house. <laughs> OK, um, so writing a, a movement on that just to show kind of <laughs> the significance of water in that area, honestly, and what that idea looks like. Then the third one of the hardship part uh, will be about the urban renewal plan. So um, Lakeland is like a lot of communities in the United States that is subject to massive gentrification. Mm -hmm. um, the urban renewal plan, the idea was to move the residents out of the area, refurbish the homes, make a bunch of single family homes, move them back in. What happened actually though is 70% of the community was displaced and never came back mm -hmm. because um, UMD bought some land to make student housing. Mm. Uh, the, the prices went up. There was just a lot of factors that went in. There was a government um, leadership change within the urban renewal plan. And if you can imagine what that would be like, I mean, now all of these funds are going way different places than they were supposed to. Um, so they definitely got screwed over by the government. Right. Um, so that's the hardship part. Then the last vignette is going to be about kind of how this community got through all of this and how they're still together. Um, the two mainstays of the community are the churches. There are two churches that have been in the community since the 1800s. Uh, and education was a huge, huge thing for them. It's like if you can be educated, if you can have a lot of knowledge and know the world around you, then you can go anywhere in life, basically. Um, and the exciting part of this residency is we're going to be collaborating with Carlos Simon. Okay. Um, if you don't know him, you should check him out. 
He is a fascinating, amazing composer. We're super excited to be uh, collaborating with him. He's already sent us a first draft of his vignette and it is like super great, super great. Um, So we're really excited to be collaborating with him and to, you know, like any time that percussionists can get together with a composer and do something where it's like we're making music right now and and he's from a community in Atlanta that went kind of through the same stuff as Lakeland. And he was like, I connect with this on a super personal level. This is going to be great for me. You know, like as much as much collaboration we can do is great. And and the way that we feel about this entire project is we're just the musical vessel that sure. the story and the community of Lakeland is flowing through. And that we made like very, uh, very clear from the get go with Maxine and, and the Lakeland community is that, you know, we don't want to take your story and put it out there. We just want to share it and make sure that people know, like you're trying to do with the heritage project that you guys exist. It's important. And yeah, so that's, that's the residency. No. Yeah. It's super interesting. But one, one note I made kind of looking into the heritage project and their stories, you like you and the commission are there to, to amplify that, to like, to help, to help tell that story. So is Carlos, is he writing the entire, like all the vignettes or just one, or you, you're, you've commissioned him to do the entire piece? No. So we, so he's just doing the fourth one. Okay. Um, the other three are actually going to be written by us, which okay. is exciting yeah. because we all love exercising the compositional part of things. Okay. Uh, so uh, let me think. Yeah. Trevor's doing the, urban renewal vignette okay. i'm doing the tropical storm agnes and then wesley is going to do the racism segregation one and right. those titles are tbd as of right now but right. we're gonna we're gonna name each vignette the idea is so we could take carlos's vignette and play it on its own we right. want those four to be able to be played separately but then as a group it's a 45 minute total work right. so yeah it's interesting and then uh, you know obviously collaborative with with Carlos, but are there other uh, mediums like represented in this entire project? Like, uh, you know, at one point, I think you mentioned either dance or art or spoken, like, or theater or stuff like that. Or is this happening simultaneously? Not simultaneously, like with your piece, but like, like your, I know you have a residency, but is there other, other stuff, kind of other mediums or other participants happening at the same time? Yeah, well, we want to take, so I'll, I'll just hold this up really quick because um, it's the book about Lakeland. Okay, sure. Um, that's part of the Images of America series. Um, these are all my like tabs of things like thematically and things <laughs> Wait, I want to learn. Why didn't you just highlight the whole book? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have like... Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. <laughs> I got really jazzed. This book is right. fascinating and it has a bunch of pictures and everything, but... Right. Um, we're trying to figure out, you know, do we want to use a, we have like a, a picture that we need to use for like the project in general. Okay. So should we use a picture from the digital archives that they're creating? They're actually like making, uh, the Lakeland Heritage Project got a huge grant to um, make their entire digital archive better and right. more user-friendly. Uh, so I, how can we incorporate those pictures? Uh, the two of the three vignettes that we're uh, going to be writing have the oral histories that we got from Maxine. There's going to be actual Lakeland voices in the piece. Um, yeah. So that's going to be like kind of a technical medium in okay. the 
inside of our piece actually right right but um wesley had a great idea of wanting to maybe commission a artist to make some type of graphic for this so that we you know when we put out the information we can also support like a local artist or something yeah. like that we love i mean one day we totally we've always talked about this we want to collaborate with dancers because i mean those worlds are so different i don't know if you've ever worked with dancers but i've sat in on some classes and i'm like oh y'all are on a totally different <laughs> totally different page but it's well, fascinating <laughs> yeah well my my wife has been into movement like since she was a kid she marched uh, like color guard in high school and then drum corps for several years in uh, with the cadets and that was a long time ago uh, or are you a fan of the cadets Wes? <laughs> yeah um, so and then still is like into like fitness and movement and stuff but she'll kind of ask me to like like yes it's a totally different world because they count stuff but they don't really count stuff <laughs> or they hear stuff and they listen to things she's like well how do you how are you counting them? I'm like, well, that's the verse or whatever. That's the chorus or that's, you know, it's an eight bar phrase. So just repeat it or so, I don't know. But there are some things that are kind of tricky and she'll be like, well, how, how would you figure this out? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. Just do, do whatever you want to do. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, well, I guess I really appreciate like, like when Trevor first reached out and, um, and, you know, wanting to kind of uh, partner with Black Swamp Percussion, and he was kind of giving me a little bit of background about your ensemble and and really what I guess I call sort of your missions, or he called pillars of your ensemble, like uh, you know, education and in social advocacy. I just found we're really like you guys are kids. I know you don't feel like kids, but you're, you know, you're young, you know, and you're kind of at the beginning of your your career, and you already have like this kind of clear concept and like, like uh, defined like mission for your ensemble. And I think it's really, it's really interesting and admirable. Like my wife was, was she's sitting over there uh, at her desk doing her job right now, but she was like, well, who are you talking to today? I'm like, it's these kids. And they're like, <laughs> they like have it going on. Like they know, they know what they want to do and they do it. They're already doing it really well. Like, you guys played this tambourine trio that Wes wrote, if I remember. Like, mm -hmm. it was just an amazing piece and like solid performance. And people ate it up online. Like, they they thought it was the coolest, and it was just really well done. Like, so congratulations on the three of you, like, sort of having this this direction and this concept and going with it. And even if it is, as from what I'm picking up, just sort of second nature or just like kind of par for the course for you. Like mm -hmm. it's what you've known. So it's what you continue to do, but I just, I think it's great. So congratulations. Um, and uh, sort of going backwards. I mean, I definitely want to, before we kind of wrap up, I want to hear more about your rehearsal strategies, because again, like Trevor's video was super cool and like really well done, but I thought it had amazing. <laughs> Sorry, am I, doing, am I doing it again? No, I was just, okay. we were, we were joking about like uh, um, the YouTube people who, when they hold up a product, they put it behind their hand. So you oh, can see. clearly see the label. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so uh, is that what they do? I've never noticed that. Yeah. yeah like okay. if, you know, if, it, you know, for example, I have my Terrapin Strong mask that right. Marilyn gave us, and if you want to see the label, or it's something, oh, here, here's my hand sanitizer. Your hand sanitizer. 
Oh like, yeah, that, some... that does pop out. You're right. Hey, you want to talk about asynchronous rehearsal strategies? <laughs> yes, is, yeah. Zoom calls <laughs> I was like, going like, to say this. Is, no, this is 90% of what when we're on FaceTime. We were talking about it the other day. We're like, man, we should just videotape this and go live on Instagram right now. And people yeah, are like, how do we get anything done? How do we get anything well, I mean, okay. So, yeah. Speaking of asynchronous, like that's that's a word I never heard until I watched Trevor's video. So, um, so that that concept of synchronous or asynchronous, uh, shared practice journals, which I thought was like like basically a spreadsheet or a Google Doc. Like we love our Google Docs at work. Like we have Google Docs for Google Docs. Yes. You know, just to keep track of everything, um, or you know, overdubbing. Like, is this uh, I mean, are these kind of strategies that you guys were kind of tuned into, uh, learned about in school, or is this stuff that you you kind of developed on your own as as sort of the necessity uh, of, of invention, I guess? Yeah, the, um, so for me, I mean, we didn't get a whole lot, of, this would be like a three hour chat if we, did, okay. if we got into our yeah. like, individual backgrounds. I, how, how about a five to 10 minute yeah, no, chat? No. <laughs> but I will mention, you know, uh, that like in, I think fourth grade, I started doing video editing, like, okay. which thank God to my mom for even buying me. She bought me this little Intel play camera. Um, and it was like, it had one record button, but then the like the editing software, you could add explosions and like all this stuff. And right. as a fourth grader, I was doing all this editing and was really tuned into it. And that was like uh, 10 years ago or oh, so. Yeah. that Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> six years ago. Oh, six. Um, no, but I, I was always fascinated with film and I wanted to go into do that as a minor. And then when I was talking to, to Tim and Kim about it, they were like, no, this percussion, like this takes a while. Like this, if you really want to be an orchestral player, like this is what you devote your life to. So sure. I kind of put it on the back burner. And then when we ended up being in three different states, um, we were talking about, okay, well, how do we make this work? We talked about, you know, after Fish Shop, we weren't really sure how the ensemble was still going to function. And the, honestly, the first big performance we did was that one in Arizona, the In Loving Memory concert that I did in memory of my dad and my grandma. Um, and when we were putting this together, we were preparing that a keyhole piece that I talked about in the video and uh, no one to no one. That piece is a beast. And we were looking at the schedule. Wesley Lauren and I were in Arizona together for seven days. And during that time, we had like four radio and TV interviews. We had, um, we had like four, four, five or six like school shows. We had all this stuff going on. So we were trying to figure it out. And we looked at the schedule. We're like, we have two rehearsals for this Akiho piece where we can have all eight people together to perform this. So it was really, we developed the strategy out of necessity. Um, that was 2016, so four years ago and, uh, or 2017. So we, we came up with that shared practice journal idea and this idea of asynchronous, we, back then we didn't call it that. I think that this is verbiage that's been thrown around by the Zoom creators. Like, yeah, right. And, you know, public schools are like, oh, you know, let's have asynchronous and synchronous learning. It's strategies. very corporate. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, we're the most corporate ensemble out there. So. <laughs> I, no, can like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. So this asynchronous idea, though, of us being able to record and just send stuff to each other really to just check in because what we rely heavily on as an ensemble now is those years where we literally did not like leave each other's side at all. I mean, we went to the same classes, we went to percussion ensemble together, we mm -hmm. rehearsed for fish off, we went to fish off, we ate together. Like 
we that was two years where we were pretty much together seven days a week most of the day so we rely on that now we don't have to talk about you know oh how are we going to line this up like that just kind of happens naturally sure so i think that's a good disclaimer that these asynchronous things it's really for us to check in and be like oh that's how lauren's going to phrase that okay that's cool or and then we have these synchronous chats where we get on zoom or facetime and and you know most of the time we're just talking about food and and what's going on in each other's lives but then we'll right. we'll chat about oh let's say i noticed that you phrase this this way or use this now what do you guys think about this and and then we've already hashed it all out so that when we get together in the rehearsal room we're a lot more productive we're not having these chats that could have happened you know the old verbiage of saying like you know this meeting could have been an email like we, we try <laughs> to actually you know do that so yeah um that's how I'm yeah. feeling about this whole conversation right now. I, I, know, think, it, I think it could have just Send been an email, email right now. <laughs> hey, I get the emails too. I love the black right. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I try not to inundate. So sure. Right. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you know, so we were doing it. I think that what's happening now is we're realizing like with my own personal, my private students, that this is a way that we can make lessons more viable. The kids that don't have access to an instrument at home, but they do at school, like kids that right. are going to school in person, they can record something on timpani and send it to me. That's an asynchronous, you know, performance. They can sure. send me, we watch it together in the lesson. I screen share, type up their comments. And it's stuff that we were doing a while ago, but luckily we had that foundation and now we're just refining it. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess we're kind of closing up here. I mean, I, I, I appreciate you guys getting your schedules together and, and somewhat short notice. Um, and I appreciate like your hard work and your work ethic. I mean, I think it obviously is showing in the activities that you guys are doing and the, the quality of videos that Trevor's putting together and, and the, you know, just the performance level and the professionalism. So congratulations on everything you guys are doing. And I look, I look forward to, to seeing you guys for a long time. Like, um, so yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and having a conversation with me. So. Yeah. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, yeah sure. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, I mean, we're, we're all super big black swamp fans. Just going to put it out there obviously, (laughs) but, um, super excited to be, um, collaborating with you guys because we've all been longtime supporters and lovers of your instruments, honestly. Yeah. Great. I, I appreciate it and good luck with everything. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Tim. This has been a BSP production, recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp facilities in Zeeland, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Jamel Taylor and Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. Music sprinkled throughout the episode was performed by Lineage Percussion, excluding The Innocents, performed by John Lane and Alan Adi.